0: This is episode 121 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 121 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Omar Khan on the show to talk about how he balances investing in real estate and investing in options. So Omar is an entrepreneur and a very down-to-earth guy and he talks about how he looks to put his money to work where it makes the most sense. So guys like me, I've been such a real estate purist. I only have invested in real estate because that's what I believe in the most, but I do like to keep an open mind and I'm trying not to be one-dimensional. So I thought it was a really good time to have a conversation with Omar and learn a little bit more about how he balances the two. So he explains how he got heavy into real estate after 2008. More recently, as he's looking at the numbers in Ontario, as we've all sort of started to notice, is they're making a lot less sense. So right now he's in a wait and see pattern and he's focusing on his options, waiting for the right moment to strike and get back into real estate investing. So um, as you know, I've been looking out of the market. I've been looking in other areas to put my money to work because Ontario doesn't feel like the highest and best used for my money. There are still opportunities to be had. It's really just a matter of where are the most opportunities. So I thought this was an interesting discussion. I think you're going to enjoy it. If you're brand new to real estate investing, I highly recommend you go right back to the first episode of this podcast. We really get into the nuts and bolts and I believe that it'll be very helpful for you in understanding the terminology and the basic concepts. If you have not already done so, please take a moment and quickly hit the like, subscribe and notification bell and leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. If you're an audio listener, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. It'll greatly help more people to find it. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 121 with Omar Khan. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have the long overdue episode with Omar Khan. He is on the show here today. We're going to talk real estate, we're going to talk trading, and uh, everything in between. So Omar, without further ado, because many of these listeners and viewers are not going to be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks, Andrew. First of all, thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, (coughs) to, to talk about uh, what I do. So a little bit about my background. Um, I grew up in an immigrant household. You know, typical story, financially illiterate, and that's not limited to immigrant households. So as I grew older, went to high school, went to university, I went to one of the best schools in Canada, one of the best programs, came out financially illiterate. Uh, And I did an economics degree. So that should not happen in my opinion one should be prepared for you know uh, the world as opposed to theoretical nonsense which is which is mainly taught in school in my opinion i'm not gonna bash schools i'm just saying the information that one learns is not always relevant so myself and matthew uh, my uh, my my business partner my best friend we took it upon ourselves to get out of our hole right we had student debts we had parents that we had to you know one day support uh we took it upon ourselves to make sure that we didn't want to live this life. So we started learning about trading. We started learning how to invest, how to trade. And we started making some pretty good money. Got out of our OSEP debt, uh, started accumulating some capital. And then 2008, 2009 hit, and that was the great financial collapse. Uh, stock market went down by 50%. Now, I've invested for a long time, uh, and I started investing in 1998. I knew that that was a temporary event, and I was just going to hold it through, and I was fine. But what it made me realize is I don't ever want to have one asset category again. I started buying real estate at the end of 2009. Uh, I started, my first property was bought at the end of 2009 and I accumulated 30 plus properties. Uh, I sold a few of them off, but I still have a sizable real estate portfolio. But what I've realized is when you combine the stock market and the real estate market, it becomes a beautiful thing. And that's what I do to this day. Um, and 08, 809 made me realize that I need to buy real estate. Uh, the problem I think... Uh, with real estate investors, is they don't realize the other side of that equation. They were they're pretty much oblivious, and they and they're kind of blind towards the stock market. Which, you know, we started this company a year and a half ago, uh, and the reason we did it is because we had done tremendously well for ourselves over the years trading. Uh, and we had actually taught about a hundred or so friends and family for free just because we enjoyed it. We taught them how to trade, and people were like, "Hey, why don't you guys do this as a business?" We never even thought about it. Uh, so we started about uh, I think September of 2019, a little bit more than a year and a half ago, uh, and here we are, uh, 1,100 members later, and growing every day. So yeah, that's my story.
0: Okay, yeah. So started started with trading, then you got into real estate, and now you use them both. You're balanced in, into both. Correct. And I think I think balance Correct. is really important. And this is one of those things I want to I want to push on today is is what kind of balance? Knowing the economic conditions today, how do we take advantage? Uh, of the situation, so we'll dig into a little bit more of the technical in a second, but just looking at the market right now, um, do you have any any feelings about our Ontario real estate market, and is that affecting some of your
1: moves right now? Yeah, absolutely is. I think the Ontario market uh, you know can rates go any lower? I suppose they could. you know what is going to propel this thing forward in the next few years? It, look I look at like where I invest, I invest in Hamilton, I look at cap rates on multiplexes. Uh, I look at just purchasing price on single families, duplexes. To me, they're not even reasonable because when I started buying, the cash flow was there. It was pretty decent. Uh, uh, now the cash flow is non-existent. Even at 30%, 35%, the banker is giving you, you know, more and more of a, of a requirement. There's still you can still make money in real estate. You know, BR4, adding value, uh, being able to extract capital out and trying to get out of the deal with maybe little or no of your none of your own money. And that's a great way to do it. But that's an active investment that requires a lot of work. But the landscape, in my opinion, is frothy in the real estate market, quite frothy, right? And people have short memories. They think, oh, you can't lose in real estate. Well, you know, from 1987 to 1999, the real estate market in, the, in Southern Ontario was flat, didn't do a thing. It dipped and it came right back up, didn't do a thing, mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's a decent chance we could be headed into a similar environment for a, for a prolonged period of time because rates can't go a whole lot lower. They're probably going to go up in 2023 and 2024. Uh, and I find that uh, you know, when you have an intimate understanding of two asset categories, you're able to understand where to allocate your capital to the most effective uh, source possible. The problem with most people is they only understand one asset category. When you only when you only understand one asset category as an investor, what can you do? Well, you can only put money towards that one asset category because you don't know anything else. Now, if that one asset category happens to get extended or over over uh, maybe overpriced, you're gonna convince yourself that it's still a good investment. No, no, I should keep throwing my money into this. And whereas it might not be, because you're not looking at it objectively. And what I'm saying is. It is very important to have another asset category which you understand, like the stock market. Most real estate uh, investors have little to no knowledge of of the stock market, and that's uh, to huge detriment to themselves because there is plenty of money to be made from the stock market, as you know. Uh, But it has to be done the the right way, just the way the right way when you buy real estate. You know, what do I? You know, you're looking at buying real estate. Like if I look at Southern Ontario real estate, Hamilton in particular. I see cap rates of like three, three and a half percent on multiplexes in Hamilton. Now, to me, you know, is, is that a great deal? Uh, considering I think rates are going to go up in a couple of years. How much more upward, you know, pressure can I put on rents? You know, that's the only thing—two things, two, two variables I can really move. I can raise the rent, increasing my NOI, right? Or, or I can have cap rate compression. I can have either one or both, and that'll increase my uh, my price of my, of my of my property. But I can't see you know, rates are probably not going to go a whole lot lower and, you know, rents might go higher with inflation coming, but
0: yeah, that's the key question. Like how much can they go higher? Right. And I agree with you completely. We're getting at a point in Hamilton where it's just out of the affordability range of the tenants. So what are they going to do? They either start packing five people into a two bedroom, you know, condo, and you might get that. And as a landlord, who wants that? That's going to destroy your place. So yes, the rents can keep going up, but it's going to become a very unpleasant place to be. And this is why for me, like Ontario just hasn't made sense in a few years because of the compression and cap rates. Um, I, I was spoiled in London earlier earlier on and I, I was getting great cash flow. Yeah. And then the prices went nuts. And sure, I, you know, I can say I like that my assets have gone up in value huge, but now when I'm making new decisions to get in, it just doesn't make sense anymore. So I, like so many investors right now, um, have been trying to figure out where do I where do I put my cash? Like, what do I do? Um, yeah. What what's going to generate me cash flow and create freedom in my life? Because buying overpriced real estate isn't going to do that, and that's actually going to exactly. put me at risk and potentially make me a slave to that real estate if it goes underwater. Now I owe money uh, and I don't have an asset to back it up. Yeah, so I couldn't agree more. So I've been looking outside markets. I like, I'm, I've been looking in Florida. I've been there for the last three months. I'm actually just got home last night. But uh, I I see opportunity for cash flow there. It's still doing the same thing we're doing here, but I like the idea of having different asset classes. I like the idea of having stocks. I haven't gotten into this for the record yet. Uh, although I know yourself and so many people I'm friends with in this industry are doing this. Um, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. The question I want to ask you is, knowing we have uh, supply chain issues right now, there's tons of, of uh, manufacturers that can't get parts, can't build. Um, yep. You know, we're getting that in the construction industry too. Um, where do you feel safe investing? Like what are your kind of, uh, I feel like this will always be there. This company is always going to survive even in a situation where we might potentially have some, some supply chain crisis coming.
1: Yeah. So first of all, I want to talk about maybe a little bit about your Florida real estate. Your Florida real estate, the good thing for you right now is the Canadian dollar has appreciated significantly. Yeah. So that is a huge boon to you. You've made actually around 6% already this year. 6%, that's huge. Uh, and, and that's going to give you a lot of space uh, to be able to increase your purchasing power down south. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing, if, if companies that we invest in, well, we invest the same companies over and over again. Companies that we use day in and day out. Your Apple's, your Microsoft. You know, your Facebook now are they going to be impacted by supply chain constraints? Not really, because they're online businesses entirely. So yeah. the 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 supply constraint, and that's also, in my opinion, transitory at this point in time. Okay. Because eventually the supply chain will sort itself out. Right now you have a reopening of the economy, massive demand, right? Mm-hmm. And the supply side of it is still constrained because people haven't got back to work, you know, all the parts are not rolling in, there's a chip shortage. That's gonna take some time to sort out. And that's why you're seeing a huge amount of inflationary pressure. But that mm-hmm. should subside uh, once yeah. uh, once things but once things open up more and more. But we focus entirely on high quality companies. We don't change them from time to time.
0: So you don't care about the situation now versus another time. So you still like your Microsoft or Apple? So you're into tech a lot then.
1: Uh, tech, tech, we're also into Starbucks, Nike, Disney. So we're yeah. in, we're into all kinds of things. We we own about uh, ten to fifteen stocks, stocks that we think are going to be there long term, regardless of temporary yeah. events like inflationary pressure. One yeah. of the companies that are going to hold up well over a long period of time. That's the right way to invest.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I I like the longevity approach that um, as Matt Pichet calls it the boring. He he likes boring, and he likes it uh, you know stuff that's that's just it's not going to do anything crazy, but you can you can kind of bet on it so to speak. Uh, I'm a fan of that too. So just to, to go back to your point, you mentioned that that you believe this is transitory. So right now it's all supply and demand, so it drives prices up. So new construction is really expensive right now in Ontario because there's all kinds of issues with supply, mainly with lumber, which is like triple quadruple the price of normal.
1: Yeah,
0: um, And there Steel. are other things too. Everything. Yeah. Steel's up, uh, aluminum's up, like everything, yep. you name it. I mean, I haven't heard the drywall's up, but I mean, a lot of things are. Um, yep. When that returns to normal resale uh, or sorry, new construction becomes cheaper. Therefore resale should now take a trim back. So people right. buying your, so are you saying that you feel that people are buying in the height of the market right now?
1: I'm not necessarily saying that. This market is irrational. Who knows yeah, where it could go? It is it irrational. Be, yeah, right. It, it <laughs> could go predict? higher. Yeah, who can predict? Yeah. What I'm saying is the numbers simply don't make sense at this point. Our job as investors is to allocate our capital to the most efficient source possible. Yeah. To me, at these prices, with the rents I'm getting, I'm not willing to throw more money at it because it simply doesn't make sense. It doesn't make yeah. financial and economic sense. That's what I'm saying.
0: Same. Same. Yeah, yeah I, I sold a bunch of my student rentals, and that's the money that I've allocated to uh, to start building stuff in Florida. Because it's still supply issues there, but I mean, I can make that money go a lot further. And like Absolutely, you said, yeah. the dollar the dollar's helping too. But I mean, I am interested in this too. So this is a well timed discussion. Um, I am interested in, in pursuing this avenue. It's just it felt oh you need- sh- you
1: should you should be <laughs> trust me. This is a game changer. Once you understand it, it will change yeah. the way you think about money.
0: To me, it just felt like a potential distraction. So um, maybe before we go further into this, could you explain the concept of what it is you do, your primary, like, because you're doing covered, call, covered calls and naked puts, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Naked puts yeah. and covered calls. It might sound yeah. like, what the hell, what are those? What does that yeah. even mean, right? I'll explain it to you. All right, yeah. I'm going to give you a real estate analogy, yeah. okay? And the real estate analogy is this. Let's say we, we, we walk into Fantasyland, Ontario, a uh, city called Fantasyland, Okay. And we see a duplex for 500000 I know they don't exist anymore, but this is just for you know example purposes. We see a $500,000 duplex and the numbers make sense at $500,000. That's what we we run our numbers and we say, this is a pretty reasonable deal at $500,000. Okay. And a year from now, we think it'll be worth $520,000, dollars maybe even five fifty, dollars because of various uh, issues like rent going up and maybe a little bit of uh, rates going down. But let's just call it five hundred, dollars And we think a year from now, it'll be worth five fifty. dollars okay? okay? Now, I have one choice, really. I can just put an offer on this property and try to get it at five hundred. Hopefully, maybe even a little bit less. But that, and if the if the owner accepts, I'm good to go. So let's say, for example, we told homeowner, "Hey, homeowner, we know your house is worth five hundred thousand, and we believe it's worth five hundred thousand. In fact, we even think it'll be worth five fifty year from now. How would I agree to buy your house for four hundred and ninety grand for thirty days? Okay, I'll take it off your hands for ten thousand below market rent, about market value. And the homeowner's will say, "Why would I do that? And you tell the homeowner, you know what, homeowner, on top of that, you're going to pay me another $10,000 for one month, simply for agreeing to buy your house for $10,000 less than its current market value. What is that homeowner going to say to me? Might call the cops, right? Say, you know, get the hell off my property. That would be some typical responses that I would expect to get from that sort of homeowner. You cannot do that in the real estate market, but you can do that in the stock market. Yeah. And that is exactly what we do all day long. We simply agree to buy stocks that we wanted to buy anyways. We get paid a lot of money for it, and the worst thing that will happen to us is, well, hey, we'll own an Apple or a Facebook or a Nike. We're more than happy to do that.
0: So you just, so to reiterate, you, you pick a batch of stocks that you love, you know, stocks you would want to own anyway. And essentially what you're doing is selling an insurance policy to the marketplace. Whoever wants to buy that insurance policy that you will agree to buy it for less than current value. But anybody who's worried that that, that stock might fluctuate or, so you're bullish, you believe it's going to go up. They might believe it's going to go down and they're willing to take your bet. So you make money. Um, so if the stock goes up in price, like you think it will, you just collect the insurance premium. Yep, and if it goes down in price, you might have to buy that stock. But what do you feel about that scenario?
1: Well, again, so I've already done my homework, right? So Mm -hmm. let's say, for example, an Apple. Apple's at one hundred and twenty-five. A year from now, let's say I think it's worth one hundred and fifty. We've done our homework on Apple. We think it's going to be worth a lot more. So if it happens to, let's say, I it's at one twenty-five today, I agree to buy it for one twenty. If it happens to go to one twenty, I'm not going to be upset. I'm going to be happy because I think the asset is worth far more. And on top of that, I got a discount. I got a $5 discount from the current market value. And someone paid me, let's say, three or 4% just for agreeing to buy it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm more than happy. This, that's a complete win win for me. So, so and again, go, go back, going back to that house example, yeah. that house example uh, happened to work out that scenario where you thought that house was worth $550, uh, you told homeowner, hey, I'll buy it for $490. And it happened to go down to $490. And you, ha- and you had to buy it. Would you be happy or would you be upset?
0: I mean, I'd be happy as long as the cash flow stayed the same, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just getting it for cheaper. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's say the cash flow is actually increasing. Well, it'll get better, right? you will buy for cheaper. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. So,
0: so that, that makes perfect sense. And when I heard this strategy and I actually heard it first from you, um, and I know a lot of people are doing it now, but um, it kind of made me think like, why would anybody buy a stock normally? If you want that stock, just keep selling puts on it until it finally goes down in value in the whole way you're trying to buy that stock, you're making money.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, like last year during the pandemic, the market presented tremendous opportunities. So instead of agreeing to buy it lower, mm-hmm. you were just actually better off buying it lower because it could snap back so quickly in price. So there okay, are. So you are, just are, wanted to buy it at that point. I, absolutely. Because if the stock has gone down by 30%, you, you know, if I collect 4% or 5% of premium, well, I'd rather just own the stock because I think it's going to rebound. And, and they all did. So sometimes you're better off just buying the stock, but the vast majority of the time, I'm more than happy to agree to buy it for a lower price and, agree and get paid for it. I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say uh, Facebook. Facebook's at $300 a share. Okay, I go in there and I say, hey, I'm going I'm to buy Facebook. For, I'm going to agree to buy Facebook for $280 for one month. That's a $20 discount. right? Now, I think Facebook will be worth $325 or $330 a year from now. I agree to buy it for $280. And someone pays me like $8 a share just for agreeing to buy it, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, I'm all in.
0: So that, that, and that someone's motivation is they're worried. They don't see what you see in their head. They're worried that Facebook's going to go down and that they're going to lose money on their investment. So they want to pay you for the, for the right to sleep at night, so to speak.
1: Uh, two, 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 two reasons why. Good question though. Uh, you must be wondering why would someone do this? I I agree with you. Uh, one reason is generally speaking, they they hedge. Okay. So let's say for example, I own a bunch of shares of Facebook and I got to have, I got to sell my shares because the stock market fluctuates a lot more than the real estate market, and I said to myself, "You know what? I got to get rid of my Facebook shares for at least two hundred eighty bucks." Why? Because I need that money for a down payment on a house I'm putting in Florida. Okay, so I essentially buy insurance. We're acting as the de facto insurance company. We're more than happy to take their money because we're happy to own the stock at that price. Mm-hmm. That's the first type of person. The second type of person is the gambler slash speculator. I don't know what they're thinking. They're always looking to turn small amount of money into a large amount of money. I always try to understand their mindset. I, I don't to this day because most often they're going to lose their money. But then I think of the casino before pandemic and you drive by Niagara or Orillia or really whatever. I don't, I'm, I'm not in casinos at all. But I, I know they're always packed. You know Why are they packed? People in there know that the odds are so heavily stacked against them, yet they're willingly throwing their money away. Right? The yeah. same thing occurs with, with, when, when we write naked puts on high quality stocks. The odds of them losing their money are extremely high, yet yeah. they continue to do it. Why? Because they're speculating. They're ter- 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 looking to turn a small amount of money into a large amount of money. And we're more than happy to take their money. It
0: makes a heck of a lot more sense to do what you do and, and know that it's profitable overall. As long as you do it right, I mean, I'm assuming there's a lot more to it to. to- to pick smart and you know pick good stocks and such. Um, but it makes a lot more sense to gamble in that way where you know the odds are in your favor, in my mind, Correct. anyway. Not that's not advice well, to anyone.
1: Yeah, you're not gambling at that point in time. You're 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 an investor, right? You yeah. objectively look at a company, you look at an Apple, right? You go through their financial statements, you look at how much money they're earning, and then you apply a multiple to that. And you know, and mm-hmm. that's and then you say, Okay, well, I think this the same way you would evaluate an apartment building. You go in there, you look at the rents, you're like, okay. Okay, I can raise the rent on 8 of these 15 units, okay? Mm-hmm. And you say, "Okay, here's my cap rate. If I raise the rent to market rent on these 8 units, you know, even if the cap rate remains the same, here's the increase in my price." That's the exercise we go through when we buy a commercial property, let's say a, a, like a multi-res, okay? Yeah. The same thing is what you do on on the stock side, but people just don't understand it, real estate people mostly. You go there, you look at Apple's financial statements. So if you say, "Okay, a year from now, based upon the earnings and the growth rate, I expect the stock to be worth 150 a share today, it's currently at 125. So, when you agree to buy it for slightly below its current market price, you're getting paid these huge premiums. You're more than happy to take that risk on because you've done your homework, mm-hmm. and that to me makes it such a great investment because you know it's a win win for me. I'm happy to take the money, I'm happy to own the stock, I'm happy either way,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, th- that's the part I like. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I definitely can see the value in that, but I what do you say to people like me who, I mean, for the longest time, I just figured this was going to take too much of my time to learn? And I come from a business background. Like I learned, you know, calls and puts in university. But yeah. I mean, I never actually, like you said, never had any practical experience with it. I'd never actually gotten into it. For me, real estate made so much more sense back in the day. Uh, well, the cash flow, there was, the returns just seemed higher to me. Uh, yeah. But now <laughs> I don't necessarily feel that way. So now this makes a lot more sense to me to go down this route. But what do you say to people who say, I got a good thing going in real estate? This would be a distraction to me.
1: I would say that's just uh, closed minded thinking. That's exactly what I would say. I would say real estate might have done well the last 20 plus years and everyone thinks they're a genius, right? Mm-hmm. That's the reality of it, okay? Everyone and their cat, as far as I know, the people that I know, everyone has bought real estate and a lot of people have made a lot of money, including myself. Mm-hmm. And I believe in real estate long-term, but you cannot willfully be ignorant towards valuation. When you objectively look at the valuation of Southern Ontario market and you say, well, no, I'm just going to keep throwing money at this because I don't want another distraction. Well, I don't consider it a distraction. I consider it another mechanism for me to make money. So in fact, I spend way more time building my real estate portfolio than I do trading. Trading takes me 30 minutes a day. I can do it from anywhere in the world. I don't have to deal with any tenants, any property managers, any assistants, any banks, nothing, just me and my phone. So in fact... If you put in the upfront work, which I think is probably about 50 to 100 hours, subsequent to that, you're only putting in half an hour a day. Can you imagine a point in your life, maybe let's say five years from now, you're you're traveling the world, you're, you're spending 30 minutes a day trading. You can create phenomenal flash flow just from your phone.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, actually, yeah, I went golfing with a guy uh, in Florida. He's from Ontario. He came down and uh, mm-hmm. he's working his full-time job still. But he's yeah. been making uh, fifteen to twenty percent a month. I don't know what he's into. He's probably <laughs> taking some riskier moves, but fifteen to twenty percent a month. Oh, he's not yeah, he
1: he's his that's way riskier than we that's yeah, not, I, know. I I know what he's in. Yeah, yeah, you know that I can say, I don't know know that can get that can get very dangerous. Okay. So yeah, when yeah. you're mm-hmm. yeah, when you're doing stuff like that, like the reason we stick to our strategy, yeah. and it typically makes us like let's say one to about four or five percent a month, that's still very good money.
0: That's, yeah, that's fantastic. If, if 5% fantastic. a month on 100 grand uh, base of capital is, is is pretty solid, um, would that yeah, be like, enough? Would 100 grand be enough for someone?
1: Oh, yeah, them? yeah. I, well, even 10 grand would be enough. The idea is not the money. The idea is to learn the concepts, get the knowledge yeah. down. You can always, the great thing about trading is you can scale the crap out of it. Whether you yeah. have 100 grand or 10 million or 100 million, it's the same yeah. thing. You can scale it very easily. What I would say is if you're taking on excess risk, the reason we trade the way we do is because we want to ensure that our worst case scenario is that we own a high quality asset. When you're trading these other strategies, like a credit spread or whatnot, you have the potential to lose all your money. And I'm not, I'm not at all okay with that.
0: So you stick with the more conservative approach to this. Let's not lose money. Let's, let's not take high risk. Let's just focus on stuff that, uh, that makes a lot more sense to, uh, to earn a more steady, predictable return.
1: Yeah. And also it's not like last year, I think I did 62%. That's a very nice rate of return. And Mm -hmm. You know, I stick to the Warren Buffett philosophy. The first rule of investing is not to lose there our money. money. Second rule, don't forget rule number one. If the greatest investor is taking these rules, I would be a fool to veer from them, right? Yeah, so I, we, we don't veer from them. And this yeah. is why your, your friend in Florida who's making 15, 20%, I know exactly what he's doing, did something called credit spreads. And yes, they can be quite lucrative, but they can be devastating on the downside. Yeah. We don't do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, with something like that, and I think he explained it to me that he he has only a small portion of his capital that's in that type of investment, and then the rest is in stuff that's more uh, more steady. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that everyone's got to weigh the risk, and it's the same thing I do in real estate. Like I'm always evaluating the risk I'm taking if I'm buying something. How many outs uh-huh. do I have? You know, my plan A, B, and C. Like if I'm in credit spreads and I and I only have a plan A, and if plan B and C happen, I'm really in bad trouble. Then uh, that's not good.
1: Uh, that's <laughs> so, not good. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. You, okay, so even, even
1: like imagine this if, if, if the real estate market were to pull back by 10%, mm-hmm. you'd be okay. You'd be able to hang around, right? Yeah. Collect your rent, you get positive cash flow, yeah. you pay your mortgage down. It's not the end of the world. But when you're doing a credit spread, if it goes down 10 or 15%, you're wiped out. Like it means you're done. And that's not a good yeah. place to be. It's, it's way too high risk, in my opinion
0: yeah and for anyone who's not following that um i'm not even 100 percent familiar with credit spreads so don't worry about that we're just kind of illustrating that there are certain strategies within this that could be riskier or less risky um, yeah so the key well thing- what i mean is sorry when,
1: when, when people yeah. hear the word options yeah they automatically assume risk oh my god that's risky i've heard that's risky yeah. it's like saying the world of commercial real estate is risky well yeah, yeah maybe a strip plaza in the middle of nowhere is risky but not all commercial uses, so it really yeah. depends on what you do, and we are very specific to our strategy we don't we yeah. don't hear from it
0: okay now i do uh, I do have a question and and for everyone listening like i'm I'm asking the questions as I had them kind of come up in my head when I learned about this so um, what I wanted to know early on was how does this actually Practically happen like where would you offer to sell a put and and who would possibly buy that and how quickly does that happen where you know when does somebody snap that up just because I want to sell something doesn't mean somebody else immediately wants to buy how does that process all work
1: yeah yeah good question Andrew, uh, you basically open a brokerage account wherever you want you know your RBC your TD we use Interactive Brokers and then from there just like you would go and buy a stock you just say look I want to buy 100 shares of Apple and you brought buy that's it. The same thing exists on the options market. So someone is looking for insurance. Someone wants to take out insurance. Now we're constantly selling insurance. So it's a virtual playing field. It might take me, you know, 10 seconds to execute a trade. Very simple.
0: So it's very seamless and very cheap. So say you wanted to sell a put on Microsoft today later today, and you went and looked at the current uh, price of Microsoft. I don't know exactly where that is, Uh, but you priced your, you know, your offer, $20 $20 under. Um, yep. How likely are you to find someone that's willing to take that, that uh, pick up that or buy that insurance policy? We'll call it the put, buy that insurance policy today. How likely is it that that would happen today if you made that offer?
1: Uh, very highly likely. In, in any given month, uh, there's over $200 billion in premium exchange hands. Think of that number. 200 billion? Billion with a B. <laughs> just in premiums, not the actual value of the stock, just in yeah. premiums. Yeah. So that is a massive marketplace, right? Annualize that. That's greater than the that's yeah. the greater than the size of the Canadian economy. That's yeah. two point four trillion dollars U.S. That's crazy. That's just premiums changing hands on a daily basis. <laughs> and this is a market <laughs> not many people know about. Really, not many people know about. Yeah, it's a yeah. massive market. People are unaware of it. Uh, and the unfortunate part with with some people, not all people. Some people I give them a lot of kudos. A lot of people are closed minded. No, I don't want to learn anything. It's like I know real estate. That's all I'm going to ever do. Mm -hmm. That is our job as investors is to allocate our capital to the most efficient source possible. If that's not like, you know, and I know, look, look at your properties. Look at my properties. I'm not happy to buy them at this price. I'm just simply not. And I won't because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. That's
0: where I'm at, too. I just won't. I won't pay these prices. And I don't want to go north. I don't want to go north. So I went south. But I mean, I'm also (coughs) open to this, too. This is another uh, potentially lucrative opportunity. And, uh, you know, for the longest time, I was what you described. You know, I don't want to get distracted. I'm very, you know, I'm busy. Uh, Do I have that hundred hours to invest in learning this? Is is it something I want to pursue? And, um, you know, it's funny. You just keep seeing I just keep seeing more and more people do this. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Everybody's doing this and I'm not. So. (laughs) Um, yeah. Not that I like to be that way, but I certainly, it, it does give me a reason to look.
1: Yeah. No, I think, I think, I think because the, the, the first time, like um, I, I, we started this in September of 19. And for whatever reason, we've had a lot of real estate investors gravitate towards our program. Uh, it's because it resonates well with them. They understand that, Hey, wait a second, my worst case scenario is that I don't an Apple or Facebook and I, I got a discounted price. And also check this out. Let's say, for example, I bought Apple at one hundred and. It's at 125 today. I agreed to buy it for 120. Let's say it goes to 115, right? I had to buy it. Well, it happens. I can agree. I can turn on, agree to sell my Apple shares for a certain price and get paid again. Another premium, right? That's called a covered call. So there's a lot of ways to make money. And what's the worst that'll happen to me? Well, as long as I'm not borrowing or leveraging myself, I own Apple. I'm okay owning Apple shares. So that's the beauty of it. It allows me to sleep all night. I'm done in 30 minutes. I made 62% last year, you know. I make pretty good money on this pretty much every year. And this is how I acquired mm-hmm. my real estate portfolio. So, yeah, I
0: was yeah. going to ask you that. So, so two questions. One um, is, is your balance about the, the real estate and, and, and stocks and, and how and where and where you might look to get back into real estate or deploy some of your profits into real estate again. Um, but the other thing is, so you have to buy. So a put, one put is an agreement that you would buy 100 shares, Correct.
1: That's correct. yes. Yeah. So, so let's say
0: so, so yeah. you've got to have the money available. If if Apple's a hundred bucks or you know one hundred and ten, then you've got to have one hundred and ten thousand available no, in your no, trading no.
1: account. Uh, uh, eleven grand.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, eleven grand. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Sometimes when I do that fast math, I get. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. So if you get into that, like so, say Amazon at at thirty two hundred. Now you've got to have a lot of money available.
1: Um, yeah. To do one contract, you'd have to have three hundred and twenty thousand US. Yeah. And that's not feasible for most people. Yeah. But, so you people know, getting started are say, never
0: going to sell a put on Amazon. They're just not going to right. be able to.
1: No, but they can certainly sell a put on Apple, right? Or uh, yeah. you know something cheaper than okay. that. You know that's that's not a problem.
0: Okay, so how how are you looking at this? Is there a point that you reach in your trading account of profit of increasing your basic capital that you're going to look and say, okay, now I want to deploy some of this back into real estate. What do you look for? How do you know when it's time to put money back into real estate?
1: When others are greedy, be fearful. And when others are fearful, be greedy. Yeah. Right? In the real estate market right now, I see nothing but greed and euphoria. Okay? So when that reverses, I will feel a lot more comfortable putting money in real estate. When the numbers make more sense. Right so now, there's nothing wait. but... I'm going to wait. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I've made a killing off real estate. I'm not saying I haven't. I've made a lot of money off real estate. But do I feel comfortable throwing more of my uh, of my assets towards an asset category which I feel is at the upper end of where it should be, right? Mm-hmm. It might go higher because it's irrational at this point in time, yeah. but how much higher, how much, mm-hmm. how much sense does this make? Like I, I refinanced two properties in December and January. And I, the loan to value ratio was, was atrocious, right? So I have so much of my capital tied up there, right? Cause yes. they simply want, you know, your debt coverage ratio has to be 1.2 or, you know, you're a villain yeah. to the bank. And, and if you, if you, if you don't meet that, you know, and if you notice, none of my—I don't know about you, but none of my tenants are leaving right now because they know that as soon as they leave, that unit's going to be filled up with someone at a higher rent,
0: right? Yeah, the demand's out there, uh, like absolutely through the roof for rentals yeah. right now. So it, it's like they—they yeah. they can't afford it, so they'll apply. But I mean, I've seen it coming through applications on my rentals, like people just trying to to stretch themselves to get into your place. Yeah. And one of my tenants actually invited is like. Brother in law to come live with them so that they could help pay for their utilities and rent because they were having trouble with it. I'm like, oh yeah. man, this is yeah, not no, what no, I no, want.
1: <laughs> this is What I mean does that sound like a good scenario? Does that sound like it's not? You good.
0: know, no, that's you not know, what you want.
1: I, I, I bought a cottage uh, up north uh, in August of this year, August of 2020. Okay, just mm-hmm. just pre-construction, not even built yet. Okay, it's gone up 40 percent since the time it hasn't even been yeah. built yet. So this is the irrationality which is scaring me in the real estate market. It is—it's not rational, uh, yeah. and the numbers don't make sense. So when these numbers start making sense and there's a, a lot less greed out there, that's when I'll feel comfortable, or I'll explore the markets like you're doing, like Florida. Yeah. I think Florida's yeah. a smart move. You know, you've got no—you've got no state, uh, state sales tax, and you're getting these uh, transient, transient uh, workers. Not transient, but people are transitioning from New, uh, New York yeah. and you know the the northern states down to florida even california people moving from high tax yeah. states to low tax states and what are the two things that drive property prices well gdp growth population growth
0: yeah florida they need a place to live, live right they, so yeah construction live, yeah. is booming in florida prices are booming but they haven't been booming for that long it's been about a year of of pretty much like an aggressive boom um, so I just uh, people like the politics in Florida. It's open, so all those people who want an open state, they're going there. And uh, yeah. yeah, that that's the big thing that makes me like it. It's not that there's that much industry or diversity of industry there. It's that people are flocking there, and and when pe- more people come, more industry will come because there's more workers that are able-bodied that are able to do things. So um, yeah, and th- do the numbers make sense? Right now, they do. I mean, they're not as good as I'd like, but um, you know, they're they're numbers that you know you would see in Ontario probably even ten years ago. So yeah. Um, we're getting, we're in a much more reasonable ballpark. It's not like I'm getting necessarily 1% rule in the area that I'm looking, but if you go a little bit North, you can. And, um, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So yeah, that was what I was kind of getting at. Like, are you going to look to other real estate markets? So that was my first instinct since real estate's kind Absolutely. of my game, but, um, yeah, I'm especially, my eyes especially if too. the
1: Canadian dollar strengthens further, that's a huge benefit yeah. to both of us, right? Like if yeah. that, if that dollar keeps strengthening, yeah, of course. Like, if you notice, the Canadian dollar has gone from about seventy-five cents to almost eighty-three cents this mm-hmm. year alone. So that means our purchasing power, if we want to buy yeah. properties, of the States, is significantly higher. Right? Yeah,
0: it's getting better. It's, it's getting get, better. Yeah.
1: So if if I were to buy properties, it would not be. Mm-hmm. I, I just I I cannot make sense of the numbers in southern Ontario. Yeah, it, it, it's, it doesn't make sense to me.
0: And, and to iterate that point, um, anyone who hasn't done this already, I have I have a cash flow spreadsheet on my website. You can download it, but looking at your numbers, you've got to have your cash flow because you never know where values will go and you need to be ready for that. Well, what if property values go down 20%? Am I going to be okay holding this property until it comes back? And if the answer is no, then I think you should think very critically about whether or not you should be
1: buying it all. uh, the market. And you know, nothing that's happening, Andrew, if you know, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that I know, okay. They're just simply buying pre-construction and they're saying, oh, it's going to go up 200 grand by the time it opens. I'm like, really? Is it? You have a crystal ball. You know this is going to happen. Now, the reason I keep looking like a fool when I say this is because it keeps working, right? (laughs) But at some point in time, it is not going to work, right? You just simply can't buy a house and, oh, it's going to go up 200 grand before I even move into it. At some point in time, that's not going to work. And if you keep doing that and you've got two or three or four pre-constructions and that thing happens to pull back, well, you're in deep trouble. Yeah, that's speculation. That's all A lot of is. speculation. Yeah, But yeah. if you notice, there's a lot of speculation. You can win in
0: speculation and everyone thinks you are geniuses here. And actually, that's the other thing is down, down in Florida, people know that hard times happen, right? They remember 2008. They know that, that their properties went to one-tenth the value in some areas, one-tenth. So they had one-tenth? stuff selling. Wow. Yes, they had duplexes side by side. So they, I call them semis. They call them duplexes down there in Cape Coral. They were selling 300 and change, went down to like 35,000. That's how much they dropped. People were wow. just trying to give their properties away. Uh, so people down there, they're, they're like, they're kind of scared. They see yeah, things are going up. And here I am. I'm like, you guys haven't seen Ontario. <laughs> like, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But um, I think that we all need that humility. We all need to know yeah. that nothing is for sure. So the fundamentals need to work. The um, well, fundamentals you, need to work. And if you buy it at a higher price point, yeah.
1: you know, as long as your cash flow is there yeah. and your property happens to decline, even if it declines, if your cash flow is there, it doesn't matter. You can wait it out. Yeah. You can still right? sleep it if, at night.
0: You can still wait, but you have to be ready for your rents to decline too. So you need a buffer. You need, you need some a buffer. buffer. The rents probably Absolutely. aren't going to decline as much as the property values, but you will still need a buffer. Um, and I believe, you know, that's the feeling I got. And I've, I've listened to interviews of guys that have been investing since 2008 in, in Florida. And they've said, you know, rents didn't come down like property values did. Like they, they were still okay. So because oh, um, people
1: got to live somewhere no matter what happens, right? We, Even the worst economic conditions, you got to live do. somewhere.
0: Yeah. And especially with all those people coming in they've got, they've got to find a place to live so um, not to say that there is any perfect solution there isn't there's no perfect investment we'll never know for sure that's why we, we just stack the odds in our favor and I think that's what you're doing with your type of investing Omar and, and what I've always tried to do and, and also share with other people. So what I wanted to ask you is what is going to do well say we have so I, I've heard that there's going to be uh, disruptions to oil um, in the near future I know we've we've heard a fair bit of rumblings about uh, impact on chicken and and what's available. Um, knowing that there's some of those interruptions, if someone were to want to take advantage of a potential opportunity, do you
1: see one? And in what areas? Oh, wow. Yeah, I think the world is going to be a vastly different place five to 10 years from now. If you look at the upcoming changes, energy is going to completely transform in the next few years. We're going to go from fossil fuels to renewables. Do you know how big that is? Do you think you're going to incinerate in fire, entire utility companies, like electric utilities? Mm-hmm. They're going to be... in deep trouble, right? That's massive. Okay. The seven out of the 10 biggest companies of uh, revenue wise are oil and gas companies, mm-hmm. they're going to be severely impacted. You've got that change. You've got the coming change in, in, in health and genomics, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain. Uh, the world is going to be a vastly different place in a few years from now. Uh, And I believe that we're just at this, you know, the top of the first or maybe the bottom of the first inning in this change. Like, look around. You see more puzzles every day? Yeah. Every day you see more electric cars, right? Absolutely. Five more years from now, the concept of an internal combustion engine will make zero sense, even financially, economically. So instead of just looking at it and viewing it, no, you can make tons of money off it because you know this has happened. You can see it with your own eyes, right? So I'm I'm participating. I, I plan on making a, a lot of money next few years off this uh, coming change. So would you buy? Like you wouldn't really want to sell
0: puts on on oil and gas because you'd be oh, bearish. Definitely on them. not. You're, definitely. you're bearish on them, so you might sell uh, calls. Now you wouldn't do that because you like the covered calls. You wouldn't yeah. want to. So you're just staying away from that. You're focusing on the other areas.
1: Yeah, I, I think oil and gas. Like think about it, you know, I just bought a Tesla, my first uh, my first electric car. Yeah. I'm not alone. So many people are moving that direction. And I've owned mm-hmm. these big giant AMGs for years. I love my AMGs. Mm-hmm. You know, that rumbling V8 engine with like 600 horsepower. It's awesome. Yeah. But this new electric car, it's faster. It eats no, no gas, right? It costs me seven or eight bucks to fill up overnight. at no maintenance costs. It's a no brainer. Yeah. The world is going to move towards that. Right. Imagine I have, I also have solar in my house. Imagine being able to power your solar into your car you're completely off the grid yeah. i don't even have to worry about the utility companies anymore now what happens when the whole world transitions to that that is a massive change massive change yeah. you know what's an interesting thing that's going to happen andrew all the real estate that is owned by these corner gas stations that is all going to come up and be completely useless the next few years what's going to happen there may be tremendous opportunity in those gas stations because they're all corner properties Mm-hmm. And they're all going to be obsolete in five more years. Yeah, there'll still be people who use gas. I get that part. But slowly, 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 they're going to die out. Yeah, and that really could be a lot of, yeah, well, they won't need it hardly any of it, right? Like one day, I think you're going to get to the point where, you know, people are like, oh, you drive a gas car? That's crazy, right? That's, that's going to happen, right? Like, I remember when the internet first came out. I don't know, you, you were probably too young, but I am I was in university. I'm like, what is this internet thing? I'm like, it's probably some sort of fad, right? It's completely wrong, right? But I was a kid. Uh, and I see the same thing happening right now. The change that we as a, as a world, as a society are about to uh, partake in is going to be revolutionary. And there's going to be trillions and trillions of dollars to be made. I just want my fair, my, my slice of that pie and I intend on grabbing it.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So as far as uh, just just so we uh, can say that we're, we talked real estate today, what uh, tell me a little bit about your portfolio and what you hold as far as real estate goes.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you my real estate story. So all the markets collapse, uh, stock market. I knew they were going to recover, so I just said, I'll wait it out. But it made me realize, I don't ever want to have my money in one asset category. So I was driving by, I live in Mississauga, Ontario. I was driving by Milton, and I saw pre-construction, and I, I was like, okay, well, I should get into real estate. I went in, I went in there, and I bought two of them. I bought two uh, uh, linked 2,000-square-foot uh, 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 linked uh, du- semis together, okay. just attached to the garage. Yeah, both sides. Uh, 300- okay. Yeah. 350 grand each. And I was like, uh, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, I need to buy some sort of asset. That's not. uh, And I, and I bought two of those and that clearly was the wrong way to buy it. Now they happened to work out really, really well in my favor. They've gone up considerably in value. Uh, But then I joined uh, and I started learning how to buy real estate Uh, and I acquired a sizable portfolio. So I acquired a lot of single families. I had about, uh, I had 37 properties at the the most at my, at, at the height Uh, the vast majority of those were single family. I've sold off a bunch and I still have uh, uh, about about 11 or 12 commercial properties left. I've sold off a lot of my single families and I've thrown that money in my trading account. The commercial properties I plan on keeping for a long time. uh, I acquired them a long time ago. Some of them are really nice properties in Hamilton, like multiplexes right along where the LRT route was supposed to go. So I did the right things. I I went to city hall. I looked at where all the infrastructure projects were coming. I ran my numbers and I bought right along there. I, looked at, I went to look at zoning. You know how many people are so lazy they won't even do that? And I'm not you – know, some people's lives are busy. I get it. But that one day will make you tremendous amounts of money if you know where all the projects are coming. In. And they're more than happy to share that information with you. And you tell them, hey, where, how's your zoning planning? What is your future outlook for the city? They'll tell you all this stuff, right? And so once you know that, you start acquiring properties where you think infrastructure projects and uh, – and zoning is going to be changed. So that's exactly what I did. I have that portfolio to this day. And and I haven't added to it in a few years, but uh, because to me, the numbers are insane. Right, yeah, yeah, they, nice. they don't
0: make as much sense now. So, yeah, single families; those those are actually really nice for for appreciation, right? Even more so yeah. than, than uh, multifamilies in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah, because it can be irrational, right? Real estate investors we want we want to stay rational, so we're not going to buy an eightplex if it doesn't make sense. But but a Absolutely. homeowner will a homeowner will. Yeah. So
1: if yeah, you know so that, I'm selling I'm selling six of my properties in Hamilton right now. Six yeah. uh, six single families, and they're actually sold. They're closing between May and July. Now I bought these from like one twenty, one thirty, one fifty. And they're selling anywhere from like four sixty to five fifty. Wow. Now that's just in, in what ten years, yeah. you know, that's a tripling of price. Uh, you know, now do I think the price is going to go up considerably from here? Perhaps, but I think that money can be allocated elsewhere. Right? For me, if I look at the change that's happening in the world, I'm much more happy to take that money. And allocate it to these things that are, I think, revolutionary and they're changing the way the world works. Mm-hmm. I think I'll make a lot more money off those than I will off my property mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And I can't even refinance them. You know why? Because if I refinance it's them, way that, that service, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
0: it won't work, right? Yeah, you're going to yeah. dry your cash flow out. and yeah, Dry my cash flow
1: Yeah. And yeah. the bank hates you. And yeah. then you got this argument with the bank every day. That's I, I, yeah, yeah. tiring.
0: So yeah, for, for those who want to look into it, return on equity, you're going to start to see with your real estate, once the value gets way up there, your return on your equity with so much equity in that property and small mortgage, um, your return on equity starts to look really small, which means right. ultimately you may be able to deploy that cash more efficiently somewhere else if you were to sell the property. So you got you to consider taxation and all that um but uh you know definitely something to consider so one more quick question as far as taxation goes um do you treat this as active income in a company or is this you know capital gains when you're selling these stocks or these puts um i guess it would probably be more active wouldn't it um
1: uh, for most people it's considered a capital gain but obviously you've got to consult their accountant uh yeah. for me because i do it as a business and i do it actively i have multiple corporate accounts and personal accounts my personal accounts uh enforce it's income but the corporate accounts no uh, you can trade within a corporation. So I trade within my real estate corporations, uh, and I let the cash flow just kind of build up. And as it gets higher and higher and higher, then I can either take it out or, or I can just invest yeah. it in there. Or, you know, it's there's, there are huge tax advantages.
0: So you're saying inside a corporation, each each individual transaction is not necessarily taxed
1: right it's just a corp- it's a corporate tax rate so unless oh, you're no, yeah, that-
0: like you're 12 you're 12 and a 12 and half, half yeah 12 and a half percent is it exactly. okay Correct. Yeah. yeah Yeah. so uh, yeah anyone who's getting into this talk to your accountant but uh, yeah I, I was just curious uh, you know what's happening for you in, in that circumstance so um, that's great omar where do people learn more about what you do and uh, if they wanted to follow you
1: yeah. So uh, ThetaTradingCo.com. I encourage everyone to take a look at our reviews. Uh, if you guys are real estate investors, I cannot tell you how many real estate investors we have. Uh, so ThetaTradingCo.com. Uh, take a look at our reviews on uh, uh, on Google as well, and you'll see what people have to say. Uh, I'm going to converse you over Andrew as well. <laughs> I guarantee that. Uh, and once you understand how this works and, and, you, and you understand, I guarantee you it. This will be a part of your daily investing for the rest of your life. Once you get this, yeah,
0: yeah, it's, not, it's sounding more and more like that. So yeah, I've just yeah. just gotta gotta you know, get fully uh, fully immersed in it. But uh, yeah, yeah, I appreciate this. Um, any other words of wisdom you would share with our our listeners and viewers uh, as a parting word?
1: Yeah, I would say don't make the same mistake I did. Right, I did not believe in real estate prior to the oh eight oh nine crash. Don't. There is no perfect investment category. People think there is. There's no investment category that's perfect. You must learn multiple asset categories so that you can be opportunistic and take advantage of it. So mm-hmm. that's the one thing I will leave people with. Don't just be, oh, real estate's the best. Everyone, this, we have a staying in the stock market. Everyone looks like a genius in, in a bull market, right? And when the tide turns, that's when you see who's wearing shorts or not. Yeah. The tide will eventually turn in real estate and you're going to find out who's a genius and who's just a speculator. Uh, and it comes quick. So I would encourage people to broaden their horizon, educate themselves. There's a lot of money to be made elsewhere besides just real estate. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. As a Warren Buffett quote, isn't it? When, the, yeah, when the tide goes out, you'll see who's been swimming without shorts. Or yeah. 100%. Like. That's a
1: Warren Buffett quote. We have a lot of Warren Buffett yeah. quotes. So we, 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 we believe in this philosophy. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. It was interesting chatting with you about this. And, and uh, yeah, I just think it's so on point for so many real estate investors now who are, are kind of adding this to their, their mix. And I think uh, there's a lot of good reason to, to consider it. So I appreciate you sharing this and uh, look forward to, uh, to catching up in the future.
1: Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to share
0: everything. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one.